Is this the first episode with the League of Doom? Yes. Yes, we it is. Yeah, because they set it up. No, they kept changing the name. Nobody said it the same way. The- <laughs> <laughs> Legion is it League of Doom or League of Evil? <laughs> or is it League or Legion? I, that part I do think is really funny when they're already, when they're all, and she's yes. like, worst henchman ever. Okay, no. can I actually bring up something serious about this episode? Because I know I'm always the one yeah. who goes for the deep meta. So no, go I watched these two episodes out of order. I did Born This Way first and then Night of Neglect. And when I watched Born This Way, I kind of, I haven't done season two in a while. And I was really kind of mystified as to why Kurt wanted to come back to McKinley. Like, his friends are there, but he's having a pretty good time at Dalton. Why does he feel so strongly that he wants to come back to McKinley? So that question was in my mind when I was watching Night of Neglect, and there's that scene of Kurt showing Blaine around, and like, this is the auditorium, this is the choir room, and he, like, really misses the place. And it got me thinking that this is one of the themes of Glee as a whole, is that I mean, to put it in a very, like, negative spin, you can never leave. <laughs> you're all, you always come back home again, right? Everyone leaves for New York eventually, and they come back home. And uh, even even Sue Sylvester, who's the vice president of the United States by the very end, is this spoilers? Is anyone watching this? <laughs> listening to the podcast who hasn't seen all of Glee yet, I, I apologize for spoiling Sue's endgame. <laughs> um, what do you think about the, yeah, the but they all, Yeah, they all come back, and... Uh, and it seems like it doesn't make sense on paper for Kurt to want to come back after he's gone to Dalton, but it, it seems to fit with the theme of, of the show, like a very deep undercurrent of the theme of the show. Oh, yeah. And, and oh, that they never did. Ho- I was going to say, they should have sung Hotel California on this series because you can check out <laughs> anytime you like, but you can never leave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and but really quick before I add on to the point, um, the thing about these podcasts is that we, we go from it that it is a closed canon, so we like to draw on everything, so we're not, like, in the bubble of the episode, so feel free to, like, there, yeah, if you have not watched the whole entire series at this point, then you probably shouldn't be listening to the podcast, so <laughs> don't feel free to, or don't feel like you have to contain yourself into this okay, particular Okay, thank you. No, it's <laughs> no, I, you're right. It is something, especially when they all come back in season six and Sam's decision to stay there. I, I think it is, uh, you know, and yeah, there's a lot about going out there and making your dreams, but I think there is a lot of commentary about how you can come home and it's okay to come home. Yeah. I think I think you're right in that respect. Um, adding to it, something that's brought to my attention from doing a lot of these podcasts is that, you know, as much as Kurt was enjoying you know, uh, certain things at Dalton, he never really felt comfortable and he was never in his own skin in Dalton and mm-hmm. coming back home kind of um, lets him be himself again. Yeah, in a I definitely agree with that, that he felt he had to suppress himself somewhat to fit in with Dalton in a way that he never did at McKinley. Mm-hmm. Well, we've always had, it's more than once they've brought up the um, analogy of the gilded cage in relation mm-hmm. to Dalton and Kurt, and even Blaine yeah. in some regards, that um, even and even as early as the special education episode, it's that we all wear uniforms around here. We all kind of have to work as a team. And with Kurt, I think it's not that he's not a team player. He just thinks, why can't we be a team but also be individuals? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, well, getting back into the Night of Neglect stuff, um, we really only have the one major scene and then 
Oh, we can talk about their reactions <laughs> with the rest of it. But um, we have, uh, yeah, Kurt coming and, and showing Blaine around McKinley, and he, he's so, like, excited to be back. Um, and his place used to terrify him in certain ways, but now he's looking at it really fondly. And um, Blaine definitely consents that uh, Kurt wants to return. And I think that's a, a big thing that, that Blaine is, is aware of what's going on with Kurt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get the Karofsky entrance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do we, um, I'm honest to goodness, I can't remember exactly what Kurt's reaction was. I, I do. I remember Blaine's where it's just like, we all know what this is about. But Not much. I'm actually Kurt blanking what Kurtz was. Yeah, he doesn't really say anything. He's like, "Don't tell me yeah. you're you were here for the benefit." And Krosky's like, "No." And Blaine is the one who kind of gets in on like you know, you know, because mm-hmm. Krosky says something. Yourself. Right, that's the right yeah. word. And uh, and actually, it was kind of interesting that Blaine is actually the one that is the first to be physical. He's the one that actually pushes Krosky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, considering the last time that they saw each other was in, when you look at Never Been Kissed, how he tried to approach him in kind of a gentle manner, and then Karofsky just completely, like, you know, hauled off and, you know, mm-hmm. pinned him to the to the fence. Uh-huh. So it may be that, as far as Blaine's concerned, okay, this is the only thing this guy responds to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do we feel the Santana of it all? Santana. Oh, my God. <laughs> I got razor blades all up in there. <laughs> I, you know what I love about that, though? Because, like, Santana is, like, very... Well, first of all, earlier in the episode, Karofsky has actually thrown a slushie in her face. So that's one reason why she's really pissed off at him. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think it's fascinating that the next episode is when, when Santana starts her little uh, scheme and she, mm-hmm. like, gets Karofsky to date her. And after the scene, it's just kind of funny. Mm-hmm. So. But, yeah. I, I, I'm sad there aren't very many, like, Santana and Clayne type things, because that would be interesting to watch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think that's why I write a lot of Santana into my Clayne fic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For some reason. <laughs> I seem to do it a oh. lot. And if I can go to it, and you guys are all going to yell at me for going here, but it is an interesting, like, the three of them and all of their relationships that they've had with Krosky throughout the series. I, I think it's, I don't know why, I just think it's interesting. Oh, yeah. Really yeah. yeah. I really have, I really have a soft spot for Karofsky. I read all this fic where he is, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, season five fic, season six fic, where he's um, become a good guy, and uh, uh, it was uh, uh, interesting for me to go back to season two where he's all scary, and I was just like, oh yeah, yeah, this is really serious. It is freaky. Mm-hmm. It really yeah, is. I mean, it is really is yeah. scary. It's because I'm sitting here going, I mean, it took, okay, it took me going back, this is always so funny, that in order for me to see Karofsky as kind of a romantic guy and could see him believably with Blaine, I went back and watched episodes when he was in Switched at Birth because he was like a love interest for like the girl on there. So I was like, okay, I want to see another, a softer side of Max Adler. And Mm -hmm. and then they, don't even get me into Switched at Birth because then we completely ruined his character. Um, But... (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> if you've watched Switch to Birth, you would know what happened with, with his character tank. Um, and then coming back to see this was so jarring because it was almost sociopathic what, mm-hmm. how David was. And it was just very, 
effing scary. I mean, yeah. I know we've had some podcasts where somebody thought that a Zimeo was scarier, and I'm not like, ah, uh-uh. oh, Zimeo to oh. me it was, it was funny. He was a funny, I mean, not that bullying is funny, but he was a funny bully. He, he, I never felt truly, like, threatened, like, viscerally yeah. by Azimia, the way that Karofsky was in season two. But that being said, I do like seeing, you know, the nicer side and kind of the redeemed out happy um, Karofsky. Oh, absolutely. I love, I love his yeah. story arc. I love how much he grew over the seasons, um, more than... Yeah. Almost any other character. I mean, of course, a few of the main characters had very, very big story arcs, but Karofsky just he he really changed who he was, and uh, and that's really amazing to watch over the years. Um, something else that I think is kind of interesting about this scene, though, is the fact that Karofsky is so quick to like get into these altercations with Kurt and Blaine, but he won't go near Santana, like. And I wonder if there's a kind of line there or if it's just because she's a girl or if, you know, she, I mean, Santana's pretty scary. So, um, but I do think it's interesting that like Santana is the one to get, get him to back off. Well, I think because Mm -hmm. he doesn't really feel um, emotionally threatened by her. Like she's in there threatening him physically, but what he really feels is scared of Kurt and Blaine and their relationship and their sexual orientation. And he doesn't care about Santana he doesn't care that she's a lesbian because that's not threatening to his manhood. Mm-hmm. Well, to, to, you could also make an argument. There are some men out there who somebody being a lesbian for some reason is a threat to their manhood. Yeah, which is, but yeah, it's disgusting. I mean, not to stereotype, but, but I think that's no. a straight guy thing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, how can you that's possibly true. be yeah, sexually fulfilled without a man, right? But that's oh, not Brodsky's yeah. issue. <laughs> well, also keep in mind, right before Santana shows up, it's just the three of them that all know what's really going on. And mm-hmm. Santana does not know this yet, at least not until the next episode. But, yeah, I think part of it, the simple fear is, I don't, I'm just going to get out of here before somebody accidentally spills the beans on me. Yeah, that's true. And I remember, I don't remember exactly what Kurt said, but he said something that I think Santana heard. It was like, we know what's going on, or we know who you really, or something like that, um, that may have been like one of Santana's clues to figuring it out later on when she thought about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And so, yeah, and I do like the little ending, because, Santana is all like, you know, we should do this more often kind of thing. And I'm like, yeah, you should. Why, why are you not doing it more? Yeah. yeah. So. And to be fair, there were actually two other plot lines in these. One of them I was actually not very happy with because I really did think that it was out of character. And um, the first one is when Mercedes becomes like, you know, the very demanding diva, uh, frankly, due to the prodding of Lawrence Isis. Yeah. Um, I just felt that that was just, I mean, yes, Mercedes has always had the struggle with people taking her seriously as a diva and stereotyping her for various reasons, you know, and I think we've talked maybe not on the podcast, but certainly in, you know, at least on Tumblr, uh, the issues mm-hmm. of race um, and stereotypes of race. Um, but for Mercedes to just suddenly start demanding like fluffy Pomeranian puppies to dry her hands with and things like that. And just more and more and more ridiculous things. Just, it was, I don't know. It just was 
it was off-putting to me. And it wasn't, you know, off-putting to me as, like, oh, Mercedes was off-putting. It was just like, what the hell are the writers doing? Yeah. That I can kind of see. I, I do think it is very much her trying to... Because Mercedes is always kind of this warm character. We I know that on the podcast we talk quite a lot about how she kind of just, you know, makes those around her a, a little softer. And this is kind of jarring to that. And I, I do think Lauren Zoysis was a big part of it. I, yeah. I, at least canon in that. And that she's just... She's so desperate to try and get out from this Rachel Berry shadow that she's going in this far out other direction. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, You know, we can all argue whether the writers, it worked or not, but um, I think that's what they were going for. Possibly. I mean, you also had the whole thing with sunshine and the fact that apparently Rachel was willing to relinquish, well, maybe not the final spot, but the second to final spot to her Mm -hmm. and have Mercedes go third to last. I think that was the order. It was going to be, I think, Mercedes, then Sunshine, then Rachel, or vice versa. But either way, bringing somebody outside McKinley, somebody who Rachel had sent to a crack house Mm -hmm. and, you know, is from the competition and who, you know, ultimately it ended up being a complete fail. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, basically being, we did all this for really no reason. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That's not really yeah. what I want to say, but I can't think straight right now. <laughs> okay. Um, I, you know, uh, the other thing that I've always wondered about this episode um, is where are all of their parents and families? Because I know that That's I a mean, good point. Even, yeah, yeah, me living in a small town, it's like my choir group was going to do something. Everybody's family was there, especially in a small town, because everybody knows everybody. So any kind of event, so it's always been weird to me that like New Directions can't get an audience and. Also, what about season one when April Rhodes does the whole, like, um, her invitational or whatever, and there's a full house? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I think all of the parents and family are behind a glass partition with a little hammer next to it that says, <laughs> glass only for emergency plot point forwarding. <laughs> exactly. I like that. Because I, um, I think you only oh, see their families, like, uh, like in the sometimes in the audience for competition. Competitions only when it's a plot point, it's a big, yeah. yeah, or get a big only guest star. Big like, star. Yeah. Um, but, um, like, um, guest stars to me are always hilarious. Like, as far as I'm concerned, okay, Jenna Teller is Artie's mom. Oh. Mm-hmm. Wait, I'm sorry, can you say it again? I see that. Um, like, like Artie's mom is Jenna Teller. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Nobody ever watched. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, some people think it's like Peg Bundy. I'm I'm Gemma. T- I'm like this Gemma. Oh, I, was gonna say, yeah. I always relate to Peg Bundy. Mm. We can go. What is her name in Futurama? Because uh, she was. Oh gosh. Leela. Leela. Leela Futurama. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, the other thing. Just like that is dude from The Hangover. <laughs> is um, while I'm not huge on the whole Holly Holiday plot stuff in this episode. I do kind of like what she says to the hecklers in the small little group yes. and they're like, you know, but it, and it's definitely a commentary on uh, online um hate messaging and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it was a very a, a cool way to that Glee put that out there. It in season 2 they're I mean they're still anvil heavy, but they're not as so blatantly in your face about things. So it was a little bit more subtle. It wasn't like a hammer over your head, you know, right. 
anonymous online bullying is bad and wrong. Yeah. I mean, right, they did that one yeah. in season four. Yeah, they did. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then the only other uh, Kurt and Blaine stuff, we get a lot of their reaction shots to um, to uh, the solos that are being done. And, and I love Blaine yeah, I love that moment because it is one of those um, old married moments yeah. where it's like, just keep talking, Blaine, it's okay. Which is hilarious because at this point they've been dating for, what, like a month? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not okay. even because the original song was before this. Okay. Just, to, just the, sorry, stepping away from actual plot and item neglect for a moment, but okay, let's say that Kurt and Blaine's kid is in, you know, Kitty Softball League or something like that. <laughs> Who's the one that yells at the ref that says that his kid's not getting enough playing time or that they're being unfair? And which one is the, is the one that's just like, shh, come back, get a juice box, you know? Switches. Because I can make a case for both. Blaine will be the, like, you know what, this is not very nice, and it is against the rules, and I have the yeah. rule book, and I have to talk about it. And, and Kurt's like, no. But then Kurt will be the one swearing at everybody, and <laughs> like, calm down, honey, you know? <laughs> so, I don't know. It can go either way. We can make a poll for the for the the website, yeah. the blog. Who's the batshit little league parent? <laughs> <laughs> and who's the voice of reason? <laughs> Yeah, and so, yeah, just the, I guess, yeah, I just have reaction shots in here to, and they love Mercedes Solo and all that, so. Um, anything we wanted to touch on in Night of Neglect before we get on to our main event, Born This Way? I just want to bring up one other thing. Was Am I the only person that was in Quiz Bowl in high school? No, I was, oh, was okay. in the academic bowl. Okay, so, yes, uh, uh, because I just want to make sure that just like in the episode that nobody forgot the Quiz Bowl team. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Actually, that was really funny. Was I'm really nice. sad that they didn't, like, they do it a little bit in season four when Glee Club disbands, but, you know, these kids are all allowed to be in other things, especially, I, I don't know about your guys' backgrounds, but I grew up in a small town, and since there weren't enough people to fill everything, we all were, like, in five, ten different things. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. so. so we weren't doing it just because we wanted to, like, bulk up that whole college application thing? No, we did that, too. <laughs> <laughs> And we had, um, it wasn't just one academic bowl, like we had teams for each, um, we were we had teams, and mine was the English academic team, we did English, English oh. Lit, but we, my captain was insane, and um, he was like, <laughs> he's like, we're going to have a British flag and we're going to drink tea at our meetings, because we were the English academic team, mm-hmm. it, yeah. But we only had one team, and it's so funny because years and years ago, my sister was on the same team, and that's when they started. And for some reason, the team adopted a mascot, and it was a plastic pink flamingo named Ralph. <laughs> I and love it, was, it. And this thing would hang in Dr. Murkison's classroom. And then when the competitions would happen, usually in Florida for some reason, um, I don't know how it happened, but they would arrive at the hotel, and Ralph would be there, like hanging from an exit <laughs> sign or in the hotel or the hotel balcony or something. So oh, yeah. okay. but Ralph the pink flamingo was the mascot yeah. for a brand. <laughs> Mm. All right. Well, well, let's move on to Born This Way. And um, something uh, I want to point out right off the bat, kind of looking at it as a whole, because I, um, I, I just hit the clean scenes before I got on. And this is 
Kurt's story is mostly told in music in this episode. Mm-hmm. I'm like, he's not in a whole lot of dialogue heavy scenes, but he, he does, there's a lot of music, and I think that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think, I don't know how many people would agree. Um, I will say, and this is why the whole tournament has been a struggle as far as the music goes, but for this one thing, as if we never said goodbye, that oh, is by yeah. far my number one performance in all six seasons. I completely yeah. agree. Yeah, me too. I mean, if I, if I can't pick, like, obviously you want to pick Don't Stop. If I had to pick a, a if I had to pick a song that accomplishes the show, you know, and make sure that everybody gets a trophy, it would be, you know, um, Don't Stop Believing. But as far as solos go, before Rachel, before even Blaine, and I'm a total Blaine fan, but that whole performance, commercial break to commercial yeah. break, beginning to not just the song, but the reaction shots and the way it's staged and yeah, the meaning. Yeah, that was great. Oh, but before we get really into it, guys, I'm going to pin that so that we can like go a little bit in order and oh, we'll get back yeah. to my props and we will spend quite a bit of time because it is, I agree, one of it's it just an amazing, amazing piece of television and, and musicality. And but let's let's get into it a little bit. Okay, so. um, let's start. Yeah, sorry, I don't mean to cut off your passion. I'm so sorry. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's actually. Um, so Kurt and Blaine aren't really in the first like half of this episode, um, the, but they do have this one little scene uh, with uh, Santana and Mercedes. I think that's it. I don't think Tina's there. Yeah, um, she is there. She is there. Oh, she yeah, is. Yeah, she is. Because she's okay. like, we really miss you, Kurt. We wish you could come oh. back. And um yeah, and this is they're talking about um Kurt coming back and Blaine's like, I just want you to be safe and Kurt's like, Whatever, I wanna go back. <laughs> now and, I, I, oh go ahead. And I was gonna say, and that's when, you know, he brings up there's so much going on in that scene because he brings up that, well, I'd be all for it if it wasn't for Karofsky. Uh-huh. And of course, Santana has just oh. basically witnessed Karofsky checking out Sam Bath. So yeah. mm-hmm. she already knows, hey, I have something on them. Yeah. Because, hey, I'm a bitch. I have no problem blackmailing somebody and threatening to help them. So there. <laughs> um, but then she also has Brittany and Artie in eyesight. Because this whole thing is, if she becomes prom queen, this is the logic, but this is glee logic. If she yeah, I was going to say, I do not understand. I was going to ask you guys about this, because I have never really understood this train of thought, so I'm going to go ahead and let you guys explain it to me. Okay. So apparently Santana believes that there's a lot more power to being prom queen than just the tiara. But apparently being prom queen is like, I don't know, being secretary of state, but it actually involves <laughs> some amount of power. So that if she's prom queen, then everybody has to do what she says. Well, actually, that's not what she says. I wrote this down. She because I was it really stood out to me that she says in her voiceover that Brittany is gullible. Right. We know that Brittany um, hates being called stupid. And we know that um, that uh, Santana says repeatedly that she thinks Brittany is very smart. But in this voiceover, she calls Brittany gullible. Brittany's. So gullible that if I'm prom queen, she will believe that by royal decree I can make her date me. Oh, so okay. Uh, that's somewhat of a different attitude toward Brittany than yeah. than she usually shows. Which maybe is because she's desperate. Maybe she knows it's not quite um, 
a good thing to do or that it won't work. Um, but on the other hand, maybe it is because when you think about like that whole thing with Brittany and the leprechaun <laughs> with Rory, yeah. um, maybe she really is that gullible. Um, I don't yeah. know, but but that really stood out to me that she said gullible about Brittany. Okay, because I've always it's never I'm like, how is prom queen going to get her Brittany? Right. Because I can understand the logic up to that point, but I've never really actually. Understood that. I don't understand the logic up to that point. I don't understand why bringing Kurt back to McKinley is going to make Santana popular. Yeah. Oh yeah, because, that I, yeah. I mean, the people in Glee Club love Kurt, but I don't see any evidence that anyone else in McKinley who's going to be voting no. on prom queen cares what school Kurt is going to. And part of me is like, well, what about, like, the, it's a better chance for nationals, but that would only make sense if they did nationals before prom, right. and they don't. Right. So, <laughs> I don't know. I think you're right. I think it's glee logic, and right. we just have to go with it, because they wanted to tie all of these storylines together. And, um, and plus, so. I think when when Kurofsky stands in front of the glee club with, uh, with uh, the principal up there, and he kind of says what he has to go through and apologizes to all them, I don't think any of them believe him, really. Oh. I, I don't think really because they're they're all skeptical. They're they're like, why should we believe you and stuff? And I'm like, well, why do you believe them after all that you've been through? I mean, it seems like the only one that could see right through that was Kurt when they had the the conference and stuff. So. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And you know, first off, let's from from now on we shall, we shall call it logic. Um, logic. Yeah. <laughs> logic. Um, second of all, I think even if they didn't believe Karofsky was sincere, um, admittedly, when Santana says, oh, and then something ha- funny happened, and everyone... Oh, my God, that moment was they are so disgusted, They're disgusted and appalled, but they're also thinking, okay, at least Santana... We're disgusted by this, but Santana is enough of a control freak and a bitch that... She will keep Karofsky in check. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. So. So yeah, that's uh, now. Am I completely misremembering this? Because I tried to look for this and I couldn't find it. So I could very well be making this up. Was there a deleted scene floating around, um, which had more of the conversation between Blaine and Kurt about coming back to McKinley? I don't think so. I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Mm-mm. Okay, I'm just making things up again. <laughs> Anyway, maybe it was in my head. Maybe it was there, a fanfic. There's been know. a lot of fanfic on that, so maybe it's a fanfic that we've read or something. Yeah. yeah. Fanfic that had a lot of really good, like, gifts and art that it just seemed real. Yeah. <laughs> it was written in script form or something. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, and Santana gets up and she's like, I got a gay, I mean, go. I mean, <laughs> By the way, I watched, I rewatched this with my eight-year-old son, and he thought that was hilarious. <laughs> oh, God. oh, I love it. You know something interesting with the when when she kind of confronts Karofsky before, and she get, convinces him to be you know their each other's beards. I think what I thought was really um, what what stood out to me between this part. And what happened later in the episode with uh, jumping ahead a little bit between the conversation between Kurt and Karofsky in the principal's office is that Santana was willing to out Karofsky. You know, she she said she was having no problem to out him to yeah. get what she wanted. 
Whereas Kurt, mm-hmm. Kurt has, Kurt said, well, yeah, he wanted to get honesty from him, but he would never out him. So I thought that was an interesting, yeah. con- con- you know, compare con- contrast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those I'm, um, oh. I'm actually mm-hmm. slightly un- unclear on what Karofsky gets from all this. So maybe it's just blackmail and Santana's going to out him if he yeah. doesn't go along with the plan. But <laughs> also, I mean, maybe he feels like dating Santana will... Um, help his street cred so that no one will suspect that he's gay. But then um, Santana's planning to leave him for Brittany as soon as she becomes prom queen, yeah. so that's not going to last very long either. He does seem to have honest remorse, but yeah. I don't think that's enough to motivate him to do it on his own. Yeah. yeah. No, she. there's that whole scene, I mean, where... She basically says, I'm blackmailing you if you don't do this. Because he yeah. says, what if I don't... Yeah, and I don't remember where in the episode that is, but um, that does yeah. happen. So. Um, so, yeah. So one thing leads to... But it's interesting, like, now that I think of it, because we're going to go into the, the, principal, um, uh, the principal's office scene. And so how did this work so that... Did Karofsky say, look, okay, I, I'm remorseful for what I did... Uh, let's talk to Kurt because I think we should bring him back. I mean, was it Santana's like, hey, you need to do this so that we can get him back in there? Did they talk with Kurt before? I'm just, it's interesting how to get those everybody back in into. Yeah, I, I never thought about that. What do you say to start that conversation? Like, hi, can we call right. Kurt in here and his dad and ask him to come back? That's really weird. Yeah. I, I, that's, uh, it, I think it has to do with, I think probably what happened was with, Okay, so Karofsky and the principal come to apologize to the Glee Club, and something, some conversation happened between Santana telling Karofsky, look, I know your secret, and them going to the principal and Karofsky saying, I apologize, and Santana and I want to start this yeah. bully whips group, and um, we think that we can make a safe environment so that Kurt can come back. But then it is, you know, who makes the call? I mean, does the principal call Bert and say, we want to ask you about your son coming back to McKinley or does Santana? Well, no, he said it was Santana's idea. So Kurt doesn't know it's Santana's idea until Karofsky tells him in the principal. Oh, that's office. true. I think probably. Like, the, uh, I think, what's your angle? He said it was Santana's mm-hmm. idea. And, she, and he's like, of course. I, from my impression, I, I gather it was like the principal. I think that they went to the, I think they both went to the principal and convinced the principal to, the call, yeah, Kurt, Kurt or Bert. Yeah, I, I, I did not think we were going to talk so much about about uh, Principal Figgins at this in this episode of all people. Yeah. But yeah. I, I've always gotten the impression that that he truly believes that his hands are tied. That that he supports New Directions. I mean, he's always grooving out with their with some. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. he likes them. He wants New Directions to succeed, but he has a school board, probably, that, you know, pulls the purse strings, and he has to, of course. That mm-hmm. And he's like, look, in order for them to succeed, I mean, in order for them to still be a club, they have to be successful. They have to at least place. They have to, you know, justify their existence by winning competitions. And if having Kurt back in the school and back on their team will help them do that. Mm-hmm. Maybe you know thought of in addition to that mm-hmm. um i wonder if santana convinced Krofsky to go to will and will is the one that went to figgins and said how do we get them back you know 
I'm, I'm guessing, I don't know. I just possibly, feel like Will. Yeah, possibly, because Will was there too in the, you know, in the meeting mm-hmm. also. Yeah. Not that he does anything in the meeting, but, you know. <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> His face is in the still I'm looking at. I'm like, oh yeah, he's there. but anyway um yeah so getting into the the meat of the scene though the one thing um that i find interesting and connie you and i talked about this back in furt um was the difference between the scene in the principal scene in furt and then this one oh yeah and kurt is is watching carefully like he was before he's very quiet but he is very much more in control of the situation and very much more confident and um, he's not afraid of Karofsky like he was before, and, you know, he's kind of letting this all play out and seeing where it goes, whereas before it was something, uh, yeah. I don't know, he, in a much different place than the other time. Yeah, like, so. before, at first, he was, he physically, I mean, he was, you could see, like, him, my impression was that he was physically, he physically shrank when he, I mean, in the meeting, he made him, um, he made him feel small, but here you could see that He's confident. I mean, even to the point where they, he asked everybody to step out of the room, you know, and that you know, left him and Karofsky to talk privately. I mean, mm-hmm. before, I don't think he would do that. But now I think he has the confidence to do that. So that's that's mm-hmm. definitely a change. Yeah. I think there's uh, also, um, as far as Kurt goes, um, when they had the initial confrontation, Kurt was just simply scared. Mm-hmm. of Karofsky yeah. and didn't really know what was he, he knew kind of what was going on like he said it's like, you don't know what's going on in this kid's head and over the course of things as he realizes that Karofsky is maybe not so much started to accept who he is but isn't is, is somewhat removed time wise from that initial rage and confusion um, that he knows that he really is just a scared little boy mm-hmm. and not to mention that, hey, all the adults are, in, um, are behind a glass partition, so they can come storming in if need be. So yeah. he's got that. And Kurt also is not um, not looking for a situation where he's going to be separated from Korofsky, where they're going to the same school, but they don't interact. So the bully whips are following Kurt around. Plus, Kurt says he wants to start this P-flag chapter so that yeah. Korofsky can be educated. So he's envisioning coming back and being, you know, interacting with Dave um, on a daily basis, really. Exactly. Yep. Which they never actually do, though. I, I wish they showed it. Screen. I wish they showed it. Well, did, did anyone ever write a good fic about Dave going to P-Flag? Because that would have been kind of hilarious. Actually, yeah. There was, like, a good one, and it was, like, really? and it had, it, it, also had it was Klein, and it was Karofsky, and then Brittany and Tintin. I think even Sebastian was in it. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> there was... I need yes. to find that fic. They basically took... I can't remember the name of it, but there was. It was a P-Flag book, and it was basically they took every single possible gay character and glee and threw them in there. So, mm. but at least up to season three. I don't think, you know, they didn't have any right. season four like right. for anybody. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll look, I'll find it, and I'll try to post it when I find it. That'd be awesome. Thank you. That'll be interesting, yeah. And there's also one thing I wanted to point out with this scene that I think uh, – um, Pam, you and I talked about Infert too. Was when um, was uh, when Bert was outside and uh, Finn came up behind him. You know, they were all both looking, you know, looking. At, oh, um, you're right. I know what point. Yeah, and he said, uh, he said, um, Bert said, look out for your little brother. And he said, Finn said, don't worry, I'm one step ahead of you. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, yeah. Oh, 
So you were talking about the difference and infer where he yeah. said, where the hell were you during all of this? Yep. And exactly. Yep. And then, you could see yeah. Finn definitely changing Finn. You know, for since the wedding, since you know when he, when he declared that he had his brother's back, I mean, you could really see that coming in. Yeah. And later with the hug, you know, after this year, playing serenade and stuff. But I, that really, that moment really struck it stood out to me too. That little interaction. You know, I never yeah. made that connection, but I think that's a really awesome one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that it's they've very much become a family um, in the course of these what eight episodes, ten yeah. episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, and I like to think also with Kurt, it, it is, he does realize Karofsky's kind of, you know, cowardly and scared, but I do like to think that Kurt's grown a bit at Dalton, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And is much more comfortable in his skin in a lot of ways, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think Karofsky's father also points out that, you know, from the time in Furt, where his grades had dropped and he was constantly angry all the time, and but apparently... He he even says that in this in the course of these last few months or last few episodes that he's gotten his old son back. Mm-hmm. Um, so that and you know I did we I, I'm sorry I didn't watch the Sue Sylvester Shuffle um, podcast but did we did y'all talk a lot about do you remember if anyone talked a lot about Crofty in that episode? We did and we actually haven't aired it yet. Um, oh, I think okay. um, I think that is in two weeks. Actually. Okay. This this upcoming week is special education. Ah, okay. um, but um, yeah, we did. And the and the biggest thing for me, I'm like, I I really, even though Krasky is not anywhere near one of my favorite characters, I think he's important to Kurt's storyline, mm-hmm. and I think it's important to discuss him and the redemption arc, so that when we get to season six and people are like freaking out about Blainowski, <laughs> it makes a little more sense. Um, I mean, it's still it, what the fuck writers <laughs> are doing. Uh, (laughs) but to put it in a little more context to say that it's not completely 100 percent out of nowhere so Mm -hmm. yes i do think we do touch on that quite a bit Mm -hmm. okay and and at this point by the time they're hearing this podcast they've already heard the other podcast so yes okay (laughs) (laughs) it's all weird that's okay um i've been doing podcasts out of order so i'm like oh yeah and the prom queen thing we talked about the oh wait a minute (laughs) Anyway, um, one thing about Bert that I wanted to mention was um, I really like that he—he's you know—he's very protective, uh, Papa Bear in this, but he also still really gets his son because Cross or uh, Kurt is at some point like I want to you know oh I believe him or something like that, mm-hmm. and Bert's like you you're just saying that to get back into the school. Yeah, I, I do think I mean we're. That's not a hundred percent true, but I do think Bert really gets his son, yeah. and I always like when we see glimpses of that yeah. in in that kind of how his mind works, not necessarily like he doesn't get the Maria bonnet stuff, but <laughs> yeah okay, I'm trying to think if there's anything else in this scene that I want to touch upon um. Just at the end, when Kurt's all excited about coming back, because he... Oh, well, yeah, let's talk about the dynamic between Kurt and Karofsky, and I I like how he's basically like, um, you know, what's in this for you, and what's then he... When, yep, what's your angle? Mm-hmm. And then when Santana, I like when he's like, <laughs> her Lady Macbethian ways, and... Yeah. and yeah, he... Eve Harrington. Yeah, I thought it was a, that was a pretty... Uh, 
And it's just like, okay, if you're going to be gay, you have to know who that is. Yeah. Yeah. And you can tell that Karofsky is just like, at this point, he's just exhausted. Yeah. And he is also kind of dealing with this whole, you know, and I think this is one of the conflicts that Karofsky has, that Karofsky was like, okay, I'm gay, but does that mean I have to know who Eve Harrington is? Does that mean I have to start doing my hair different? And do I have to start, you know, his whole reference of being gay was being Kurt. Yeah. And when he saw Kurt, and he's like, I can't be Kurt. And it took him a long time to realize he can still be Karofsky. He can still play football. He can still yell at, you know, he can still, like, have a rebound fling with stupid Craig or whatever it was. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember, but that's really funny. He can go country and dancing. <laughs> but, I mean, it's, it's this whole idea of, you know, Kurt saying, you have to know who that is. And I'm like, Actually, I didn't even know who that was. Yeah. So, <laughs> <Isn't> it, <laughs> it's all about Eve, isn't she? The yeah. main character. Yeah, she is. Yeah. 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 So it's just kind of a okay. You know, not not everybody's going to. Some, some people aren't friends of of. And some people, if we're friends of Dorothy, we're friends of Dorothy's Warnack, <laughs> and not Dorothy Gale. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to like know all the nomenclature. Yeah. Okay, well, um, if if nobody has anything else they want to add, we can move forward into the Somewhere Only We Know scene. And Cut, there's... back in McKinley! <laughs> <laughs> this is my favorite Blaine Serenade. It's, yeah, it's my favorite one that, that, you know, for that reason, I love the song and just the way they do it, I love, I mean, this is my fav- favorite Blaine I'm sorry, I think. One of the things I love about Somewhere Only We Know is it's the first time that we really get the Warblers and the New Directions kind of combining their voices and their forces together. It starts as a Warbler song, but then slowly, the instru- slowly, you know, the, the jazz band joins in and then the New Directions join in with their voices. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like these two separate things have like come together in this one great moment. Yeah, that is that is uh, that's one of the other reasons why I like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, first, I I wanted Nadia uh, pointed out something that I had never noticed before ever, and um, that Kurt is wearing a straight jacket. <laughs> I can't take credit for that observation. You know, I, I heard it from someone else and I was totally shocked the first time I realized it. But yeah, it's on Fashion of Glee. You can go Crazy. take pictures of the straight jacket, which is really interesting. Why is he wearing I, I mean, I know that he likes to incorporate a lot of bondage wear into his uh into his fashion, but just to choose something as major as a straight jacket for that particular scene where he is coming back in triumph just seems like such an interesting choice. Yeah. It is, but in, in, I, I don't I don't mean to skip ahead, but just to note that the next scene, like the next commercial break back, the jacket's gone. Right, but yeah. he's wearing the keys around his neck. Yeah. yeah. Was gonna just, and you know. he, he still has those on during As If We Never Say Goodbye. He's only mm-hmm. taken off the jacket. Yeah, yeah, and I always noticed the keys in the scene, yeah. but I've I'd never really noticed that the straight jacket. But maybe you know he comes out and he's like Kurt Hummel is furry, and and it could be metaphoric. I don't know. Yeah, you know he's he's got the keys himself. He's got it all folded up so that no part of him is restrained. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know maybe it's uh, it's I mean it's got to be a sign of empowerment. It's got to be. Yeah. 
you know, he is choosing when to be restrained or how to be restrained or to be in control of himself or something mm-hmm. like that. Side note, you think it's a, is that the same top? You think that top hat is the same one he wore to a senior prom? Oh, could be, it could maybe. be, yeah. Mm-hmm. I can see them redoing that. Okay, yeah. <laughs> cute little hat. Mm-hmm. On a side note, completely, and I may or may not edit this out. I actually had a customer today who asked me for specific um, a specific bondage title in our sexuality section. It was two boys nodding and how to show it. Like the, these two boys nodding will show you the ropes of bondage. It was. I don't know. <laughs> Wow. I read that as I read I heard that as not as nodding K N O T T S. Yeah. I read that as nodding, like two boys nodding just kind of bobbing their head. <laughs> well and I, I read it as two, oh no, it was two nodding boys. And I read it or he told me and I thought it was two naughty boys show you the ropes of bondage. And I was like, Whoa <laughs> I was like, and he's like, Yeah, my wife really wants this. I'm like, Okay. Wow. <laughs> Another day at the bookstore. Naughty, anyway. Naughty boys nodding. <laughs> So I just thought that would be funny and share. I don't know. Maybe it'll stay in. Anyway. But, okay. Um, the first thing I want to point out is, uh, or the next thing, sorry, not the first, um, is Mercedes is the one that kind of helped orchestrate this whole thing. Yeah. Because, you know, she's right there with New Directions, and she's like, guys, you know, it's time for Kurt to come, you know, basically introducing him. But she also, like, introduces the Warblers, too. So she has a yeah. huge part. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, so the, the last podcast I did with you guys was actually, <clears throat> excuse me, was special education. There was a lot of talk about Mercedes and whether how she felt about Kurt and Blaine. Well, specifically how she felt about Blaine and how it was affecting hers and Kurt's friendship. And now here we have, and I don't know if it was Blaine that told Mercedes or vice versa, but something was there was some planning stages between the two of them. Yeah, and <laughs> that just makes me so happy that that is that at some point, even though it's off screen, which I hate, this is the kind of stuff you, this is, this is why you have thick. This is why you have thick. <laughs> <laughs> and now I want to fix. I know yeah. exactly. And whoever's listening to this podcast, you know who you are. You totally need to be writing this one. Um, mm-hmm. I want to say, hey, but she, she knows. Um, <laughs> is to, to write the Mercedes and Blaine plan his, his courtyard serenade when Kurt transfers thing. So, but yeah, knowing that, that there were conversations, text going on between Mercedes and Blaine, it's like, oh, we're going to do this thing for Kurt, and it's going to be so awesome. It's just, yeah. it gives me flutterbees. I know, and I, it's not something I really realized until, until I started really doing the meta for it, but I'm like, oh, it's so sweet. That the, I mean, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate that we saw it off screen, but or that it was off screen, that we didn't see it. Um but yeah, it's so sweet. And look at the hug. I, and um, I, I don't know if it was special education. I think it was the substitute. But yeah, I think we were talking about how even shifting friendships doesn't mean they're over. It just means they they're different. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he gives her the oh, biggest hug. Substitute. That's right. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. And it's all right. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah. I also love right. that both Kurt and Blaine make dramatic entrances in this scene. Yeah. Uh, And it's so very them. And I love that it takes place in the courtyard, which is such a powerful place for transitions in the show. Mm -hmm. Goodbyes and hellos and um, welcomes, reunions. Yes. um, I was just thinking of um, 
of its time, which is almost the opposite of as if we never said goodbye. Uh, but also, of course, um, uh, when they get back together, got to get you in her. Thank you. I'm like blanking on the I name of the song. Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. And particularly for Clayne, but not only for Clayne. I mean, other people like Tina, for instance, does a very transitional song there in diva. And, uh, uh um, just, I, I think this is, is one of the first times that the courtyard is established as that type of place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is this the first song that they do in the... Oh my gosh, is it? I think it might be. No, 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 because they do, to, like, yeah. um, New York. Oh, they oh, do, yeah. 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 That's yeah. right. Of mine. Do, they, they do. do they do one in the first season ever? I, gosh, I don't remember. That's how my memory is going so badly. <laughs> I don't I think just, so. I think I, don't, I think the, the first one that we see is the Empire State of Mind in season two. Honestly, I don't even think they had the courtyard set in season one. Yeah, I don't think they did either. It's a location. It's not it's a, a lo- set. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, I think they did some stuff. You know, they were shooting on location, but I don't remember them ever using the courtyard in season one. I think they used a little hallway this, where the staircase is a little bit because there's some scenes in season one where there's like a stairway or some hallway outside. Mm-hmm. And I think that's it. But I don't think they've ever used the actual courtyard. Well, well, the issue is, is that it's actually an active high school. Yeah. So there yeah. were yeah. go after hours there in order to <clears throat> Plus, that was always a great way to get spoilers. <laughs> the yeah, the yeah. high school kids so. would let us know what was being filmed. Exactly. Yeah, they were so nice. And they were probably a little bit more guarded about that stuff in the first season. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, anybody is like, if, if you remember that they, were, that they were in the courtyard in season one, let us know. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. All right. So, let's talk about the song um, and, and Blaine coming in. I, I said that Blaine was already in mourning. Um, cause he, he, I mean, I know part, part of it is the fact that it's sunny and Darren doesn't do outside very well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Like, glasses, he's like, my eyes, ow. <laughs> oh, yeah. But he's so sad during all of this. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, like, the, the, it is kind of a sad song. I mean, oh, simple thing, where have you gone? I'm getting old and I need something to rely on, you know? And it's just, yeah. he's, he's saying goodbye, you know, in a way, and he, yeah. like, it's not just the warblers, but I've always said, I'm going to go into my little big diatribe and you guys can shut me off if I talk too long, but, or if I don't make any sense, because I might not, um, that this is a really, this is a changing moment for Kurt and Blaine, and Kurt coming back is kind of the catalyst for all of these other events to happen, mm-hmm. um, because when they were at McKinley, or at Dalton, they, you know, did everything together and relatively on the same page, even though was kind of chasing Blaine there. But they get together, and they're happy, and then this happens, and then, you know, Blaine follows him, and everything's different, and it leads all into the season three stuff, and all of which goes all the way all to the end of the series. Yeah. And it, I always draw it back to this moment that things kind of shift between them. And, well, and also Kurt says, and the, after they hug you, uh, he says this line, he says, like, I, I'll never say goodbye to you. And that's, like, the line that kind of has brought up a couple times again yeah. over the season. Brought the, so. Yeah, it's brought up at the end of season three. And yeah. technically, we never actually hear him say that. I mean, it's right. usually like, I mean, even when they broke up at the beginning of season six, it was, you know, he did, he said, maybe we just need to, you know, end this. But he never said goodbye. It's 
Yeah. Actually, it was, it was Blaine that did, essentially. He was yeah. just like, you know what? That's it. Then yep. that's it. And I'm done. I'm out. Yep. But, yeah. Hey, Bob, and I don't want to make you angry. <laughs> Tracing all of this back to this point where, you know, that's where Blaine starts to, you know, he follows Kurt to McKinley and that, you know, just all this stuff. I just think it's interesting to look at it from a, a just a big picture point mm-hmm. of view. Can't you think, you know, never say never. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. I mean, he's sad. He, he is sad at one point, but then, like, at the end of the scene, he go, goes back and kind of looks at Kurt, surrounded by his the, yes. the directions again. And yeah. he's, he's happy that you know, he's happy for well, I he think he feels kind of bittersweet, you know. Yeah. He's, he's really sad but also Definitely he's glad well. that Kurt's in a place where he belongs. And actually yeah. I wrote in I wrote in my notes here, um, oh God, when different schools was the worst thing we had to deal with <laughs> 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 like, it seems like such this powerful and, and tragic moment. Um yeah. but then considering what happens in season three and four and oh, six oh, yeah. Um, okay, for no, you know, if for no other reason, Ben, season three was when whoever the hell the costume designers were were just like, let's put them in polo shirts and suspenders and bow ties all the damn time. <laughs> well, uh, uh, now that we actually have to develop them as a character, so I remember when uh, when remember when we just started to get the pre- when when we were in season and we got the previews for the songs and like the little clips beforehand and stuff. I mm-hmm. distinctly remember before this episode when I, I I forgot which which news outlet, you know, had the exclusive clip. But I remember when somebody dropped the clip of somewhere we only we know, and everybody oh, yeah. freaked, everybody freaked out. <laughs> yeah, everybody freaked out for some reason. I mean, we were they thought they were breaking up. Yeah, so I think so. I think. Oh, that was it. That's, that's right. Oh, God, that's right. Were they you thought guys? that Blaine was saying goodbye to Kurt. Yeah. yeah. And it was just like... Oh, I was not in fandom back then, but... Oh, boy. Were, yeah. All three of you or just the two of you? Yeah. yeah. I, I was barely in fandom, but I remember, like, just seeing comments on, like, Entertainment Weekly or wherever it, the preview was. Oh, so. no. oh. You're going to drama. <laughs> I, I, had, I hadn't even... I hadn't even watched Glee at all yet when this aired. I started watching during season three, and I caught up very quickly. At this point, this fandom freakouts, I honest to God, think were media-driven at this point. I, I, yeah. It wasn't just a matter of, you know, it was a matter of people like, like Michael Slezak, Ross Yellow, going, oh my God, does this mean they're breaking up? And it's like, God dang it. Okay. Back to the, the episode, though. Um, so, jumping back in... Um, Let's talk about uh, Kurt's reaction to um, to all of this. And at first, when he gets back, he's so happy to be back into his own element and kind of out of Dalton. And not that he didn't enjoy Dalton. He didn't have a good time there, but he's back kind of home in where he considers home. And, I, you know, it really does hit him, though, when, when Blaine's saying goodbye with the Warblers, um, that he will miss it. I, he's, he's visibly sad. And yeah. Um, so I think he's, then he gets. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I think he's got a swirl of emotions in him because he's just like he's happy to be back, and then he's overwhelmed by you know all his friends welcoming him back. Even people like Santana is just like, oh, oh yeah. okay, hi. Yeah. And, and then the Borblers Kim say goodbye to him, and he's overwhelmed, and that's when it really yeah. hits him. It's like I'm coming home, but I'm leaving home. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, but I'm leaving, you know, and it's just it's very bittersweet for him. 
Um, and for one thing, for one thing that just kind of takes me out of the scene, though, and it's a nitpicky thing. It's an editing thing. It's thinking for Joaquin Cedillo and better editors in seasons three and beyond. But Brittany step comes. Brittany steps down. Oh yeah, I'm a that. Yeah. And I was like, fuck. Oh. It's just like Brittany just like pops up again in the background, and it's just like, ah. Oh no! It's just a terrible editing job. It's like no, I, you know what? It's interesting. Actually, by the time they got to season six, they just didn't care because there's that like in the finale when they're supposed to do that mirror scene, and yeah. you can see that as a. I mean, it's so yeah. bad. Well, so I don't know if everybody it, does mirror scenes. It's because you, otherwise you just end up with camera equipment. In the oh yeah, so. yeah, but, yeah. But they didn't but line it enough, up. So. Yeah. That you line it up and it doesn't. Sh- I mean, that it was. It's just really, really bad. So, um, yeah, it's. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think they were um, just exhausted and fitting so much into one episode yeah. that they couldn't. They didn't have time to reshoot it until it was perfect. Yeah, no, it, it's not like I'm not critic. I mean, I am criticizing them, but you know, like whatever. It doesn't take away from my enjoyment of. of what well, I'm also, let's face it. It was also a matter of you know Fox saying, "Okay, you got eleven weeks. Chop, chop. Get off the set. We need it for like another set for New Girl or whatever." Yeah. <laughs> I still can't believe the set's not there anymore. <laughs> like, I want the set to be there forever. Yeah, um, it should have gone into a museum. Should have gone to Smithsonian. Oh yeah! Mm-hmm. If they can have Fonzie's leather jacket and Archie Bunker's chair and John Hamm's suit, you know John Draper's suit, they could have like a little bit of of the choir room from Glee. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing about this scene, because um, I, I just you know can't shut up about things. Um, and you guys can tell me if I'm completely crazy. I was talking to uh, Melissa Corn about this. That that. It's interesting, if you look from Never Been Kissed to Original Song, mm-hmm. it's kind of um, almost like, how did she put it? She wrote the meta, I didn't, like a microcosm of what their entire arc is going to be. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it was an interesting insight. Mm-hmm. I don't have those notes up, though, to really get into that. Mm-hmm. But Yeah, I'm kind of have to, you'll have to point Rexion to read that meta. Yeah, I'll have yeah. to, like, put that up there, because yeah. like, I'm not even... It's been a while read since I've read that, so... So, but I'll have to put that meta up there because it was a very interesting thing that she wrote on that. So, mm-hmm. anyway, so we can. I think we've got the scene. Well, I'll never say goodbye Which to is, you. Mm-hmm. And then commercial. Then commercial. Yeah. And, then, and, and then as if we never yeah. say goodbye. And and now I do have a question before we get into like literally one of my favorite performances ever on this show. Um, are there other performances where? Just one singular song performance took up the entire um, scene. Yeah, like from like I wouldn't say like act one, but like from commercial to commercial. Yes, once that I can think of off the top of my head, oh. um, and it's um, Rachel singing um, Darren's song. Oh, um, that's oh, yeah. I don't know if that was your uh, count. Yeah, <laughs> what the frick is the name of that song? I feel so I'm the worst fan this time. Um, and, and and that was commercial to commercial. Okay. I can't think of any others, but, but I, I can't think of any. They they didn't. This is the whole song, it is. and which is they did not edit and they, it. Yeah, they did not edit it, um, and they rarely ever do that. And I think one of the reasons why. Well, did they edit at, at the ballet? I mean, that wasn't uh, commercial. They did. Uh, I've heard. I've, it, they did because I, in spite of the fact that it took forever, I've heard the actual at the ballet, and it does go longer. Yeah, yeah. It does. Okay. Yeah. Um. 
and there are some. I mean, there are some shorter songs. I don't think Teenage Dream was cut low or cut down. But anyway, um, but yeah, this is they let this kind of breathe, and I think. You know, it's a shame to me that Glee was never really allowed, other than this, to have longer episodes, because I think letting it breathe a bit, one reason I think this performance works so well is that it's allowed to be in its entirety and allowed to be shown the way it's um, presented. And, and yeah, and Glee needed to be longer than 42 minutes. Yeah. Well, uh, thinking about another song, um, maybe I'm, perhaps I'm not think, uh, recalling differently, but... In season, jumping ahead to season three, at the graduation episode, when Rachel's, uh, when Finn said, you know, when Finn tells Rachel he's not going with her to New York or, or something. Oh, from, yeah. yeah. Roots to Branches or Branches. Yeah, roots roots before, before Branches. branches. Yeah, yeah. Is, is that one, is that scene cut or is that another scene that's uh, entirety? It's not commercial to commercial, yeah. though. Oh, it is, okay. They, they have, have dialogue for scene. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. All right. Whereas this time is actually cut, though. Like, Rachel, it, but it was still commercial to commercial. Okay. But they still cut, like, a verse out of it or something. Okay, I didn't even think it was a verse. I think it was, like, a piece of the instrumental part. Oh, okay. I think it may have been, like, a little bit of the instrumental. Mm-hmm. But there was definitely a shortening. For may, maybe a short verse. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm on Glee Wiki. I could look it up find out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Meanwhile, who wants to go first and talk about the Oh God! Uh, I, well, I'll, I'll I'll go, but then if y'all need to cut me off, you can because <laughs> I will go on forever and ever and ever about this scene. Yeah, I think we all have a lot of to say, but that's okay. That's what we're here for. I'm here all night, so go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> like I said in the past, this is absolutely one of my favorite solo performances of Glee. Not just for the vocal performance, not just because. Cause, and don't get me wrong, I listen to the audio over and over, but everything from the you know whispered conversations in overcrowded hallways and it's like yeah it's literal (laughs) (laughs) i mean some people may be like okay we get it you know you're talking you're not it's not you're talking inside baseball or anything (laughs) but you see and you know you even see you know they didn't have to have you know you can see like sam in the background walking past or something like that and you know the av people and you know working with the set of course who's why are they moving the water set? I guess they're just practicing for a future production that we're going to do. Um, but as he sings this, he's just kind of in awe that he's looking at McKinley like the first time. I mean, this is a school yeah. that he's gone to for a while, but coming back to it, it feels like there's something in the air that's charged and different about it. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of see that on his face. And the way that he turns his face... If he does this one thing in front of um, one of the dressing room mirrors, mirrors backstage, and it reminds me of when he was on Inside the Actor Studio, and he said that he posed for his sonograms, and he has this tilts his jaw, and he looks over to the side, and it just completely captivates me. Mm-hmm. But I think then this is the part that makes me ugly cry, is when they focus in on the choir room. And yeah. He's singing this with every ounce of passion. If he had sung this for Vignata audition, there's no way Carmen Thibodeau would have turned him down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And seeing everyone's reactions and you're sitting there going, because I remember um, like a couple, like a season later, Harry Shum talking about uh, watching Chris sing, I have nothing in the choir room and just being blown mm-hmm. away. And I can't help but see them and, and them going, okay, 
This could be the characters just being so happy that Kurt's back, or this could be a case of the actors going, God damn, Chris Colfer's insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they just, like, everyone's got these watery eyes and these smiles on their faces. They're just leaning on each other. It's like, even Finn and Quinn are all, like, you know, curl up together or whatever. And it's just, they're just like, they're like, this is what was missing. This, mm-hmm. this is what we have needed. And, of course, you know, there's also the tie into the previous scene when he's like, the last thing it said in the previous scene is, I'm never saying goodbye to you. And then and yeah. this entire scene after is as if we never said goodbye. And if I recall, I don't think he he said he was leaving, but he never officially actually said the words goodbye when he left McKinley before. He just no, he said no, he said yeah, he had to go. Yeah, he did say he had to go. So yeah, and he thank you for bringing all those words there because when I watch this song, I just become speechless because it's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. I can't think of words to describe it because I know that they will never do it justice. But as you described all those little motions and things I can see them perfectly in my head it's just so crisp and clear and he's making these tiny little motions and these tiny little facial expressions and they're just so powerful Mm -hmm. my thing about this that it's in addition to what you guys have been saying is that one of my problems with solos on the show is that they park somebody there and they're singing and nothing happens and the gorgeous thing about this particular um, song, but it, it, a lot of Kurt's, I think most of them are like this. Um, this one is just to a, a better degree. Um, there, There's movement and there's emotion yeah. and depth and there are things happening and you learn things about the characters and he's talking to his audience and it's really the closest we ever really get to sitting in a live performance of something. Yep. Because in this, because it's cut off by commercials, we are now in a theater. We are now watching... Chris Colfer as Kurt sing us this song and we are right there with him. And and I, you know, I'm so sorry. Please don't send me hate mail for this, but I don't think that's anything that Rachel Berry or Lee Michelle's ever done for me on the show. Um, Closest would be um, this time at the very end, but we are there. We are the, we are the, those Glee Club Club kids who are just emotional because of this. And it's, just amazing. It doesn't feel like you're watching a television show. You feel like you're watching a movie or, or a play yeah. and you're much more caught up in it. At least I am. Yeah. yeah. I and I think... Go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Jinx. Yeah. Buy me a Coke. Well, I think one of the other things that I love that and that you bring up that you feel like you're at a live performance is at the end of that scene. And, we can, and I don't want to like end the discussion of this by talking about the end of the scene. But the end of the scene is the camera panning out of the choir room door as right. if we actually had our faces pressed to that window in the choir room door watching this. Or yep. if, as if we were in the choir room and then we just kind of backed slowly out so that the Glee Club could have her own moment of welcoming him back. Well, that's so, the curtain moment. Yeah. Or the cur- yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the curtain. Yeah. No, no, I have more to say about this. Well, so, I mean, go ahead. Well, I felt, oh, no, I felt the song was very, it had so much emotion to it. It, um, it was, it, there was a sense of, I think, when I, when I first heard this song, I was speechless also. I still get teary eyed when I see it. And when I listen to it and watch it with the scenery and everything, and uh, I th- I thought there was a sense of poignancy to his voice when he sang it, and also this is really like a triumphant homecoming for him. Yeah. Um, 
Also, I felt like, um, I think now that he had a contrast of what it was like at, um, and, and Dalton, like, he felt safer, but he wasn't really free to be himself, I guess, yeah. because they had so many things. Now he could finally be back in his place where he felt freedom to express himself, at least within the choir room to extend. And all that stuff with the bullying and everything, you know, uh, he, I think all that was put aside and he just sort of remembered sort of the good times that he had with his friends yeah. in there. And that stood out, all stood out to me with this song. Like that he was, mm-hmm. there, there was a sense of nostalgia, I think, mm-hmm. about coming home, I think. And there's also looking in the future because one, okay, the one particular line there's a line when he sings, and this time it'll be bigger and brighter than we knew it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the way that he sings it, the way that his hands, the motion of his hands, the way he looks to the side, like he's got this idea, like, oh, yeah, and we're going to totally do it. Like, he's almost insane about it, but it's just like mm-hmm. this wonderful madness. And that part literally makes my heart jump. Yeah. Like, I just feel like I'm in the car singing along with him. This time it'll be bigger. That's right. Yeah. It'll be huge. Well, yeah, getting like Liza. <laughs> Getting into some of these lines, because something I wanted to get, I, I, I don't get this picky, but I, I wanted to talk about some of the lines in this song because I think they're so um, relevant to talk about. And I'll get to that one in just a second, but further up. Um, there's the, um, I've spent so many mornings trying to resist you. I'm trembling now. You can't know how I've missed you. Missed the fairy tale adventure in this ever-spinning playground. We were young together. And that's Connie, that speaks to your nostalgia. Yeah. Um, but also, and it's interesting how you could, like, I don't know, I just, it's, it used to be this place that he, he didn't want to be, but now it's, like, it looks back with his fondness, and mm-hmm. I like we were young together, as if it's been, like, 50 years. <laughs> we were young together, like, like, if you consider, like, three months ago, technically we were younger uh-huh. than we are right well, now. Well, you know, Blaine did just say that he's getting old and needs something to rely on. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's that's <laughs> Um, I'll give, uh, they're just teenagers. I mean, these are people who think that thirty is old. I mean, you know, for they them, think twenty is old. Yeah. <laughs> I I have always said I on my playlist um, somewhere uh, only we know always um, comes before as if we never said goodbye, and I, I kind of am now to the point where the two go together to me because mm-hmm. one is about kind of leaving and saying goodbye, but the other one is coming back and saying hello again. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but then there were um, the, the other one, and this is where they really get a lot of the shots of the kids. He, Kurt says, I don't want to be alone. That's all in the past. This world's waited long enough. I've come home at last. And the I don't want to be alone thing really strikes out to me because um, doing the meta, I really, uh, in the earlier podcast, we talked a lot about Kurt being alone yeah. and being on his own and even self isolated. And now he's like, no, I'm, you know, he's got his new directions. He's got his boyfriend. He's got his dad. He's got his brother. Mm -hmm. And he knows what it's like to be with a network of people who care about him. And you also, we also touched upon this about the female home too. Mm -hmm. And that's, and that's literally pointed out in the song too. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was, that was great to point out. Um, one of the little small things I noticed when I was seeing, was watching the scene is, um, you know, they have all the kids with the with the 
with the, uh, playing along in the background with the um, violins and stuff like that. And then for some, for and then we get this harp <laughs> in the background. And I think that's the only time I've seen a harp in the choir room. <laughs> no, it's yeah. there. In, oh. Um, I think it's there in. Oh gosh. Mm. Maybe it was just the violins and high F nothing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know why that stood out to me, but I'm like, huh, this is the first time I've seen a harp. Well, maybe the harp's been there before, but uh, that's the first time. Was the harp at Dalton, too? I, was, I wonder if it's the same harp that they used. <laughs> that, that, sorry, that was really off topic. I'm sorry. I, know, I, I know this is a real small thing, but I don't know why that stood out to me, but I, <laughs> but I, I, wasn't, I just wasn't used to seeing the harp in the choir room. Um, uh, and, yeah. Going to um, the I'm, oh, this time will be bigger moment. I like the next line of that too. So watch me fly. We all know I can do it. And it goes back to Kurt being, uh, you know, that caged bird, and he's let out, and he knows that he can fly. Yeah. And I, you know, it, 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 I don't mean to draw it all the way to birds all the time, but there's so much bird metaphor <laughs> in this show between Kurt and Blaine. I yeah, so I always latch onto it. Yeah. And then the last line of the song um, is. We taught the world new ways to dream. And in this episode, I guess it's a good time we can bring up that this... That's glee, basically, episode, in a nutshell. Yeah. yeah. Uh, is, and this episode, I think, is the epitome of what Glee wanted to show the world. That, you know, to be born this way or, you know, accept you for who you are because you know you're different, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, while we may have our episode tournaments and all have our personal favorites, I think this episode kind of stands at the top as of what Glee is going to it was trying to portray to the world. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. like that line, we taught the world new ways to dream, kind of speaks to Glee. Yeah. Because it talked about, and, and again, it's like, I'm actually starting to break into tears right now. I'm telling you. This is, like, this is, like, this is one of my, it's one uh, of my, it is my absolute favorite episode of the entire series. And yeah. to me, it is because it is quintessential Glee. And it yeah. is because mm-hmm. they did teach the world new ways to dream. They taught, the, because the old ways of dreaming were, Think about the old ways of dreaming were, you know, please, God, don't make me not like this anymore, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, you know, make me normal. And now the new ways oh. to dream are, are, you know, you know, self-acceptance and self-love and, yeah. you know, loving the way that you were born. And and and, and, and to get into uh, piggyback on what you said, um, Pink, was uh, not to get off of Kurt and his Kurt. Kurt and his storyline, but it also speaks to the other storylines, the other two storylines that was going on there too, between mm-hmm. Rachel and her nose job, and also Emma and, and Lucy Gabusi. Yeah, and Lucy and you know we find out about Quinn, and also also that we find out about uh, you know Emma coming to terms with her having OCD mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm, yeah. and dealing with you know in that you know and her going to the therapist mm-hmm. and her trying to finally you know her yeah. finally taking the step to take medication mm-hmm. yeah and and yeah. accepting the fact that she has the ocd so i mm-hmm. think that all kind of touches upon that same point oh absolutely yeah, yeah. i think because that's one of the reasons this episode works so well is that all of the stories um tie into the same theme in a very tight way mm-hmm yeah, like, and, it, and I'd it, like to touch on each of these separately. I, I feel like it, it kind of does a disservice to just lump them all into, you know, all of the non-clean things. But um, oh, yeah, but looking fine. at these one at a time, um, I kind of like to, even though it goes into the Lucy Gabusi, into the Rachel's nose job part, 
Um, well, I don't know. Maybe the best way to do this is do it in order and start with Rachel wanting Minute, Rachel looking oh, sure. at Minute's job because it dives directly into Quinn's self-image well, and Rachel's self-image. Mm-hmm. And we can tie it all back around to the Barbara Streisand scene at the end. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Segways. Anyway, go yeah. ahead. So, um, I'm sorry. You, you can go ahead. Uh, I just wanted to point out that this is also one of my favorite mashups of um, the series is that yes. between oh. her and mm-hmm. Quinn between I feel pretty and unpretty. That was a beautiful mashup between the two of them. I think perfect for I, their I, voices. I, <laughs> yes. I quickly interject about how I think they often misuse Quinn's voice and I think this kind of thing is one of the best things they ever did with her voice and to she she matched Rachel and it's it's just a gorgeous arrangement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yep. normally, I mean, I'm not saying anything about against you know, I'm not saying anything against Diana's voice or Leah's voice, but, you know, Leah's got a very theatrical voice. And I think it's also, it, show, it really showcases, you know, Diana slash Quinn, but it also has Rachel showing some restraint and knowing when to pull back, you know, the head voice mm-hmm. and matching up with your duet partner. It was just mm-hmm. really, really lovely. And mm-hmm. I know that there was a lot of argument about how the whole Quinn being Lucy Kabusi was like this kind of 180 that that completely undoes all of her character development. I'm like, how does it undo it? Look at what happened to her in season three. Yeah, I think yeah, it's yeah. very, um, very in character for her. And it may have seemed out of character at the time, but I think the process of continually reinventing herself is something that is pretty fundamental to Quinn. And she has a hard time settling on one personality or um look or who she wants to be she's just different in each season different at different times Mm -hmm. and it seems that that's gone on you know since middle school Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i think back to i think back to like the season web episode when we we meet quinn's family and kind of the, the very kind of you know evangelical controlling father that she had and you know thinking about you know what? He probably is exactly the kind of guy that would be like, sure, I'll use my rate. I'll use the money I got for my race and get you a nose job, sweetheart. Mm-hmm. Because he may have, you know, as much as he loved his daughter, didn't love her enough, obviously, but um, threw her out of the house. Is her sister older? Yes. At least, yeah, his sister's older. I think older. older, yeah. She's there, too. If the older sister is, quote-unquote, prettier, and, you know, she's struggling, and Quinn always seemed like the type of person who... Um, is she is a smart girl. She unfortunately thinks that she has to play a certain role in life because that's the lot she's been drawn. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she is always in conflict with herself because of those two things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can see her trying to be this, you know, popular girl and and hit these benchmarks so she can eventually go and get this real estate agency and get a family and have kids and that's what you're supposed to do in life. And at the same time, there is this rebel of a girl yeah. in there. There is this um, smart girl trying to get out and break the, the you know. So, well, you yeah. look at her, again, you look at her family environment. It, it, to me, it's very obvious that she's from one of those environments where you can be smarter, you can be pretty. Yeah. And, but, and it's preferable to be pretty. And her father, the way that he is, it seems, is also both he and her mother are very much a keeping up appearances uh, mm-hmm. type of thing. And if, and Hey, you know what? Yeah. You know, we've, we've got her uh, Francie, I think is the older sister's name that we never meet, but you know, you have pretty Francie and her like, and eh, then there's Lucy. 
Um, and oh, I can yeah. see her. I, I can yeah. see that family dynamic very clearly yeah. and how she wants to kind of escape that. Another reason that I really like this Quinn story is because it provides a counterpoint to the main message of the episode that prevents it from being too sappy, right? Yeah, so the main message right. is love yourself. You don't need to change who you are. And that's the one that they want us to take away from the episode and, and integrate into ourselves, but they don't hit you over the head with it. And part yeah. of the reason is that they have Quinn and Santana um, and to a lesser extent, Lauren Zizes, um, uh uh, taking an opposing viewpoint of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Santana says at the beginning something like, you know, if there's something about yourself that you don't like, you should change it. You would want to improve yourself. And Quinn has already done that and is trying to, to, um, to pretend she hasn't, trying to pretend she's always been that way. But mm-hmm. she also says, I didn't do this because I hated myself. I did this because I love myself and I want to improve. And we all want self-improvement. Yeah. We want Emma to recognize that she has OCD and shouldn't just stay with her disease, but should yeah. you know have medication and therapy and get better, right? Mm-hmm. We don't want to just... Yeah. Um, accept everything about ourselves and never try to have any self-improvement. But the trick really is figuring out what's on which side of the line, sort of like the serenity prayer, you know, what, what do I accept about myself and, and stay with, and what do I recognize about myself and strive to be better? Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Um, before, uh, also, I, I want to touch upon, um, Let's give a shout out to Finn Solo. Oh yeah, I yeah. love that. Yeah. That's my favorite I Finn Solo. And I the Sammy Davis Jr. original. So mm-hmm. yeah, and there's another example of Finn trying to get better at dancing. Like he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm a terrible dancer, but I'm trying to get better. You know, yeah, and that's I'm doing great. better, right? And Will's yeah. like, let's go yeah. on. The next and he thing. never <laughs> stops trying. He never gives up. Like you know, yeah. um, Mercedes at one point gives up with trying to dance. She's like, I just want to park and bark, but. Finn never gives up, you know, he's yeah. terrible at it, but he's always, always trying I, to. He's yeah. just, like, embracing all of it. I mean, he's just, just trying his best. and Yeah, and, and having best. a good time with it. Yep. Exactly. Well, and the other thing that I want to give a shout-out to um, and is that Corey and Finn, by proxy, um, got to be a better vocalist as the show went on. He started off, and I'm just like, is this a joke? They're really putting this person as the male lead? And as time went on, um, his voice got a lot better, and this solo is really good to listen to. Uh-huh. I mean, not just, I mean, it's fun to watch them dance and, and him then get better at dancing and Mike kind of showcasing himself, too, but vocally, it's it's enjoyable to listen to where I've not always been the greatest fan of listening to Finn solos or Finn and Rachel Duets. Um, so, you know, it you may not pr- improve on dancing 100%, but, you know, you're definitely getting better as a vocalist, and that's something, mm-hmm. so. Yep. I swear, I know this sounds like this sounds like the weirdest thing, but going jumping back to season, forward to season three, I could have listened to Corey sing all the Michael Jackson songs. It's the darndest thing. How can, it's a completely different type of voice, and yet he could sing Michael's songs so well. Mm-hmm. That's why I don't, I don't hate Ben anymore. He did so well on Ben. He's going to stop loving you, and God, I could have heard him listen to Michael forever, sing Michael forever. Mm-hmm. Now I'm sad. Yeah. So. Well, we can talk about Emma then. Yeah. Yes. Emma. Do we want to talk about Will's part in that too, or do we want to just ignore that? Um, <laughs> I thought let's, say, let's just say 
Will, that's not how you treat with someone with fucking OCD, and move on. Um, yeah, because, I mean, he was nice. He was, he, I'm not going to say the word schizophrenic, because that's a completely wrong way to go about it. But it was, it was like, one, he would be like, oh, I'll help you polish your fruit for you with antibacterial yeah. wipes. And then the next is like, like, look, here is blueberries. He's really, really impatient. That's how I would yeah. put it. He's like, yeah, I'll help you. And then five minutes later, he's like, why aren't you cured? Yeah. I'm helping you. You should be better. Exactly. <laughs> he doesn't get that it takes a really long time and professional help. He thinks mm. that, you know, solving problems is what it really means to be a man. <laughs> yeah. um, but let's, I mean, at least, at least Emma, when she goes to therapy, the therapist does give good advice. Yes. And God, that's a great it. scene. And I want to, I want to point out. Kathy Quinlan, just, let me just say yeah, yeah. Definitely. She was she was great in it, and I also wanted to give a, give uh, Jamie May his lots of props because she was outstanding in 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 in, in um, I think all throughout the series as Emma, but especially in this scene, it was powerful the way that she, you know, portrayed Emma. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know, restrained but very. I think. Um, she felt very conflicted, and I think mm-hmm. I she just did an outstanding job with with that. I think, and I don't think, and it's sad that that she wasn't uh, that. Um, it's sad in later seasons that she wasn't used as much because I thought she really brought to the brought a lot of heart and depth to the role of Emma. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. I I will say that. I wish that in season four that they had, because they did such a good job at the end of this episode addressing not just her OCD, but just in general, the issue of mental illness. Yes. And the fact that that mental illness is, is no different <clears throat> than, you know, chronic pain or being diabetic, that you, that you take really? medication in order to, to maintain, you know, having a, a physiologically normal life. Um, Season four, you saw her going into this downward spiral with the wedding planning. Yes. And I wish that they had brought back maybe, at the very least, one line of, like, maybe you need to go back and see your therapist again and have your medication adjusted or something. Yeah. Something referencing back to, because OCD doesn't go away. You you, you, you take medication for it. You can control it. But it doesn't completely go away. And in high-stress situations like that, I, I right. wish it had gotten brought back um, up. Yeah. Well, me too. And as somebody who has multiple family members with uh, mental illnesses that are um, severe enough that they do need to take seek therapy consistently and be on medication, and it's not, you know, it's not like, hey, that kid has ADD. Give him some pro- whatever Xanax or whatever. No, this is, like, very, very serious stuff, and it's, you know, sometimes they're better, and sometimes they're worse, and sometimes they can go without therapy, and sometimes they really need it, and it's an ongoing battle for their entire lives, so it it would be, you know, it's really great that they, they did this with Emma here, and, and I yeah. do agree, I wish there had been some follow-up, because I think, you know, it's not just, oh, I went to therapy, and now I'm cured, it's yeah. a life yeah. thing for mm-hmm. these things. And Nadia, I think that, uh, I think what, what you brought up about the point about the the things about what can you um what what do you accept versus what can you change? Mm-hmm. I think the therapist I forgot her name, but Kathleen Quinlan's character. I think she brought that up as an example yes. to Emma too. 
Yeah, I think uh, when she said, well, if you had a student, which I forgot what the student had, but she brought an example, and she brought up exactly what you brought up, and I thought that yeah. was a good, good point. It, it, it yeah. was if, if a student had diabetes, would you tell oh, them, you know, would oh, you yeah. tell them they need to take insulin, yeah. or would you tell uh-huh. them, you know, oh, just, you know, think positive. Or, yeah, because Emma had said, this is me, and yeah. the therapist says, no, that's your disease. It's stopping you from being you. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly, and I think that was great to point out. So... <laughs> I'm gonna have a choking fit. Hold on a second. <coughs> I tried to drink water and it went down the wrong path. Oh, long oh gosh, sorry. No, 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 you're fine. I'm okay. I, I, it, it was after you were finishing talking, though, so I didn't have to like. <laughs> yeah, I am glad that they have somewhat touched on that a little bit more mm-hmm. in the last episode, especially towards the last day. I'm glad that we basically had confirmation that Blaine did have depression. Um, Yep. And that mm-hmm. would have been nice. I just think it would have been nice if they had said, and he's probably had depression since the very first moment we met him. Um, Speaking that, of fandom controversies. Oh, yeah. Oh my, oh, my goodness. Is Blaine <laughs> depressed or not? Yeah. Well, but I'm also glad. Um, I mean, it, I'm glad that not just Blaine went um, to settle that controversy, but also that Kurt went because there can be. I don't think Kurt suffers from a long-term depression. Well, we know he was suicidal back in yeah, season yeah. one. Yeah, I to point out that, that you can be indifferent. Like, Blaine has, it seems to, you know, have suffered from this depression for a long time, whereas Kurt has gone through periods. And, uh, you know, you can, you have different, you can have, like, both people have depression, but have them in different ways. Yeah. yeah. And so I kind of like that Kurt was, was getting some therapy it's there, Situational too. versus long-term. Yeah, right. Ex- exactly. I mean, you know, just to kind of, I mean, I've certainly benefited, you know, and I know people who have benefited from therapy, from couples therapy, whether, it's, like I said, situational, whether, you know, you have a family member that passes away or you go through a particularly hard time, you know, career wise or with, with substances. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's not all or nothing either. It's, you know, it's not either you have a mental illness that needs constant, you know, monitoring or, you know, there's always that in between that, you know, sometimes there, you end up, sometimes you have a really shitty year. Yeah. Yep. Yep. No, I, I will contest to that. Yeah. And not to get too personal on these podcasts, but no, I, I've been yeah. where Kurt has been. And I, I know, know some of my family members who have been where Emma mm-hmm. has been. And yeah. So. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, um, let's move this back to happier thoughts and Barbara Streisand. And um, this delightful little scene where Puck actually, he, Kurt gets Puck in on this. It's interesting. Yeah. Uh, and Puck he, dances like a dork. Can I just point that out? <laughs> well, this has one of my favorite jokes in the whole show, and I'll read it for you guys. It's, um, only I can leave this bar prevention. And Rachel says, wait, is she here? No. This is Molly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And besides, oh. as we know, Barbara has her own mall. Right. Is that a true yeah. thing? That is actually a true thing because Ryan Murphy went down there with Lady Gaga and John Travolta. She has an <laughs> underground mall, and yes, it has a frozen yogurt shop in it. Oh my goodness! Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, no, no. Apparently, it, this was about the time that he was working on the last season. He was when he was working on American Horror Story, the season with Lady Gaga, and at the same time was working on the O.J. Simpson thing. Oh, and so God. it was like him and Lady Gaga, and then John Travolta. And, and um, Kelly Preston, and they went to Barbara Streisand's place, and yeah, 
it's so, real. So, like, is it retail stores and like there's actual employees down there, like locked up until she goes through? And or, I mean, yeah, it doesn't make sense. It's like a little prison with like labor and that you know that I don't know. Uh, apparently, I don't know. Oh, it's like cool. there's like little retail like things you'd find. I guess there's like an Auntie Anne's pretzels in there, and I don't know. Do, do people get to come visit, or really is it just her? I I, I don't know. I, I I don't know all the details. I just know that apparently that there was a frozen yogurt shop down there, and that Ryan Murphy and them have been down there. Oh, so okay. And okay, so let me get the street, Ryan. But six seasons of Glee. You've known Barbara Streisand this whole damn time. You couldn't get her to do one guest shot. Mm. They got Patty Lapone. They did, they did get Patty Lapone. Yep. Which is pretty damn good. Okay. Um, here's like how do I put this? I, as everybody probably knows by now, have mixed feelings about Hummelberry. Not their friendship. I think their friendship is fine. Um, this is the first of many, 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 many scenes where. Kurt picks up Rachel from whatever downward spiral she's in. Um, this scene is delightful. I think it's wonderful. I think what he says is wonderful in it mm-hmm. about her, you know, Barbara didn't change her nose because she would sing differently and think about all the little girls and you're one in a billion. Mm-hmm. And it's great. I just wish that the series didn't decide to replay the same song over and over and over again throughout the series. So that's my two cents. Okay. All right. So, oh, oh, I understand what you mean now. For a second, I was just like, I think they only played that duck sauce song once. No, <laughs> it's fairly repetitive. Sorry, the hummelberry. Better vocabulary. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, I I see that point. I've always, you know, I I definitely think that there's a uh, a truth to that argument, but I kind of accept that about Rachel. That's just who she is. She just needs someone. She's very dramatic. Mm-hmm. And she has her highs and lows and she needs someone to pick her up whenever she has a low. And that's just part of what being Rachel's friend is. And Kurt mm-hmm. is one of her closest friends and he's the one who does that. And I think that's okay. And she doesn't do it for him as often, but that's also because he doesn't need that type of thing. He has mm-hmm. his downswings and he deals with them in a different way. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And I, and like I said, I don't think it's like I, I understand that aspect of their friendship. And, and I, I agree that she definitely is the type of person that needs that. It's it's coming more from a writing thing that it just did. You know, we have to keep seeing this on screen. I want to see other things and not just more Kurt stuff, but just like give me any other plot line. I feel like I've seen the same Rachel plot line. So as a TV watcher, I just wanted something different. But it's, I, I promise it's not really a criticism of the friendship because I do think they have a good friendship and I do think that Rachel very deserves friends mm-hmm. and, and Kurt is a good friend to her and she is to him. I, I don't think that... I think she gets a lot of flack, especially in season four, and, and I don't think that that's completely warranted. Right. Um, so... Mm-hmm. And is yeah. it, is it, is this one of the the themes where we are, is this one of the last songs where we actually see a flash mob again? Because, um, or, well, no, or, not technically. It's probably the last one where you see a flash mob that was shot kind of in a more public place. Oh, okay. Um, because you do have, arguably, you could also consider um, 
and these are more spontaneous public performances per, than, you know, traditional flash mob per se. Yeah. But I would argue, and, and I, in fact, made the argument in my article, um, that mm-hmm. the two in season five, when they did Blurred Lines and You May Be Right, um, when they did Shout. Oh, Shaft, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. right. They yeah. did you know, Shout, the 500th song that they did on the show. Oh, yeah, uh, that's true. Yeah. When they did Take On Me, this is when the fantasy started to fall apart. When they did Take On Me and they thought it looked like a flash mob and then it turned, they pulled the plug and it wasn't. Um, but as far as like big flash mobs, like in the center of like a public place, like a mall, it probably yeah. was. Okay. And I, I and this, said it was a much more, sorry. <laughs> oh, no, go ahead. I liked that so far you had seen two flash mobs on the show at this point. You saw the one that Artie had done, mm-hmm. which. Interestingly enough, interestingly enough, um, there was an interview with Kevin McHale, and I and because um, I quoted him on this, is that when they shot that flash mob when they did Safety Dance, um, they shot it during business hours. So there were shoppers in the mall, and there were people oh. that had no clue what the hell was going on. So it was to them, it was a legitimate flash mob. Was, oh, and it was in LA. Did they shoot it? They shot it. I'm assuming in LA too. Yeah, it was the same. I can't remember the name of the mall. They've used they used that mall twice. Oh. Um, but it was very. Wasn't it the same mall where they did um, uh, in props where Tina hit her head on the fountain? I think yes. so. Yeah. Think so. yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But of course, Artie's. It's very odd because Artie's, in spite of the fact that it seemed like a real flash mob to the people watching it being filmed, was a fantasy. Right. Whereas this yeah. flash mob, um, I think they had a little bit more control over the shooting of it. So even the extras were they knew what was going on. Um, but so it was, I wouldn't call it a closed, closed set, but it was certainly had a lot more control over it. Mm -hmm. And, but it was also much more relaxed because it was choreographed, but it was very loosely choreographed. It was choreographed the way you would expect a high school glee club to choreograph something. So so it was a lot more relaxed in that regard. Just going to say, um, as much as I like to whine about things, I love this scene. It's fantastic and amazing. Mm -hmm. And yeah, but I mean, it's definitely more in the, it's definitely more in the tradition of the traditional flash mob of okay. that, that you saw around 2008, 2009 or so. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Thanks. Well, and because right, you're the expert on it, if you don't mind me asking, mm-hmm. when did the flash mob trend kind of die off? Oh, it's funny. It was probably around 2011, 2012. I mean, you still see them. Um, they're definitely still around, but... Um, probably, um, there was a show that came out on Fox, probably was it 2013 or so, I think, but they actually did a show called Mobbed, where they yeah, I remember that flash yeah. mobs, uh-huh. and it was very much, uh, you know, pay no attention to that man behind the curtain, except we paid way too much attention to the man behind the curtain. It was pretty much seeing how the sausage was made. Um, but yeah, at some point it just kind of fell off. I think what happened was, Flash mobs were a great novelty, and they actually started like around 2006. So they started before social media really started. Social media picked them up, but as social media generally tends to do, it types something like, like crazy, and then it ruins it. Because mm-hmm. pretty soon, everyone knew exactly what it was and what planning it took to put those things together. And we just yeah. didn't seem spontaneous. Yeah. That same being said, it's still on my bucket list. I want to do a flash mob someday. We should all get together in Ohio. Yeah. And do it. <laughs> hey, they actually did one at market. They did like a Darren. They did one for Darren. Oh, did they? Yeah, market like, day in Chicago, I think. Yeah. yeah. They yeah. did like a special Darren Chris Blaine Anderson flash mob. 
just for him for market days. So. Yeah. Oh, it's a shame Blaine was never in any of these flash mobs. No. But they were so adorable dancing. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I don't know. There's not a whole lot more to add to the scene other than I just really love it. Go watch it. I will Still say this. There's a dancer behind Rachel on the escalator, but I'm like, is that Drake? Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't the gap attack count as a flash mob? It does. The gap attack would definitely be a flash so mob. So Blaine was in one. Okay. Right. I stand corrected. I didn't even think about that. When... Yeah. Yeah, he was. Yeah, the Warbler gap attack was definitely a flash mob. Mm. <laughs> Have fun. All right. Okay. I, well, um, oh, go ahead. I just see you know, one overall comment. I like how this the the show overall is like you can. It's like a time capsule of sorts. You can go back and see what was popular at the time, what kind of trends were <laughs> happening, like flash mobs, what songs were popular, because it's all there within yeah. like six. Yeah. Yeah, there was a post going around saying if Glee was still on, what would they be doing? Like, oh, yeah, like, oh, like, yeah, like, yeah. It'd pretty much be like Pokemon Go and Hamilton. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, I can you imagine them trying to cover the election, too. Oh, or, like, oh. All right. Um, um, before we leave this song, I want to um, make one more uh, comment. I said that I was watching sure. this episode with my uh, with my eight year old son. And he loved this uh, Barbara Streisand performance. He thought that it was um, totally fun. But then he turned to me afterwards and he says, I don't see how that was inspiring when the only words were Barbara Streisand. (laughs) 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 Yeah, the words really didn't do much for me. (laughs) That's so funny. Now, granted, how is this inspiring? Well, it's all about the attitude. It's about... You know, looking up to your role model and having fun and not caring who's watching. Yeah. I mean, the thing is Uh, is that they also think about it. Like, maybe in 20 years, there'll be another remix song. They'll be singing Rachel Berry instead of Barbara Streisand. That would be awesome. Because the whole thing is, like, like, Barbara Streisand is one in a billion, so are you. And so are all those other little girls. And they don't necessarily have to say, I want to be just like Rachel Berry or I just want to be like Barbara Streisand. But it's giving them permission. It's like, I want to be me. It's like, oh, the Olympics is just like, I'm not the next Usain Bolt or the next Michael Phelps. I'm the first Simone uh, Bielas. I saw that today. And I was like, oh, that is so cool. That is such a cool thing to say. How do you pronounce her last name? I haven't caught enough of the stuff. Biles. 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 Okay. I'm the first, you know, I'm the first Simone Biles. Yep. I love that. Um, all right so now we get to sexy kurt we get to sexy kurt this is the first time i will say this you know and kurt i mean geez i might be the youngest one here but um i was like oh my gosh chris is so much younger than me i've never really thought about it but this this first time i was like holy crap i'm like wow he can pull this off i'm like he's a fucking kid geez when did i miss this that's the first time i ever really thought that so i know a lot of people talk about like four minutes and that, yeah, that kind of like really yeah. for me. Yeah. yeah. Not for me. It was this moment here. This, yeah. this, this was a moment for me. I, um, well, I was, I was, you. I started watching Glee from the beginning, but it was while season three was airing. So I watched all these, a, a marathon to catch up to where it was. And, uh, you know, the first season was not really my thing exactly. And then the second season I started getting really into it and Kurt and Blaine, I was just like marathoning until they started, um, uh, getting together, and I was really getting into the show. But then this episode came, and this song in particular, Born This Way, when Kurt got up there, I was like, okay, I just have to be in the fandom now. I can't I can't yeah. stay away from other people 
now I have to be part of the phenomenon of the show. And it was really because of her oh, getting up there and wearing that shirt. And I was just like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, you know, and it's interesting. We were talking about in the sexy podcast, because this three episodes ago, Kurt was talking about being a baby penguin. And we were talking about how, you know, that got so blown out of proportion in fandom because that was a contextual in that moment and in that episode and kind of the way his story was up until that point. It's like you're trying too hard. Right. But he's not naturally, he's, you know, what he is here and in the rest of the series, he's not trying and little sex kitten or whatever you want to call him, but like, you know. More tiger, less kitten. There we go. (laughs) But, um, yeah. I I was a teenager. I mean, I think we all were. Man, I tried when I tried to be sexy, I was like mm. stupid. <laughs> I was like the worst like unsexy dork you've ever seen. I mean, I'm 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 guessing I can be sexy. I mean, people find me I don't know. I guess like, I guess <laughs> I can be, but when I try, yeah, I I'm just like Durr. I think most people, well, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, like when they really try try. Yeah. I mean, you, it's like when you try to be sexy, you end up with duck face. And duck face is sexy. <laughs> That's what all of those duck faces are, is people trying to be sexy, and it ain't. And it's just no, but I think Kurt is trying to be sexy here in this performance, and he's succeeding. Yeah. Um, but I, I, maybe, I want to say it's in a different context, because he's being performative, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, he was trying to be performative in Animal, too, and that totally didn't work. Oh, I mean, the fact that matters, Kurt Hummel ain't exactly a neon trees kind of guy. <laughs> No, there's that too. But I think also he is in this particular. It, it's not so much about like, perf- or how do I put this? It's the context. Yes, as in exactly. He's comfortable and he's confident yeah. and he's he's yeah he's he's not a, maybe not even thinking about being sexy, but he's about you know presenting himself. Yes, yeah. And yeah. he's not trying to impress his crush, who is you know out charming him right next to him. Yeah. You know, he, so he he can be that person, and it presents that way. And also, Amazing. remember an animal for trying to be sexy for the Crawford Country Day girls. Yeah. So and he's trying to be sexy for a girl. <laughs> yeah, and you know, Kurt has that problem again in um, uh, uh, when they're at Niata and he's performing for June Dalloway. Yeah, American but Boy. Yeah, the not American, no, not American no, Boy. No, the, no, the no, first American one. Boy. Uh, oh, that uh, One Direction song. One Direction song, yeah. The yeah. It's, um, story of my life. Story of my life, thank you. Oh, story yeah. Of my life. Yeah, and he's right next to Blaine, and he's trying to perform for a woman, and uh, it's just not working at all. It's just, yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. It's, it, and that's when we get into the whole, you know, when we talk about passing and what is passing. Yeah. Uh, like, how is that defined? And it's, that's, that's basically, in a nutshell, it, it's, you know, Blaine can put on that persona of I'm going to be the dapper charming guy that makes the girls weak in the knees, whether mm-hmm. they're 18 or 85. <laughs> and Kurt, I don't know why it's so funny to me. So anyway, and, and Kurt is well. I don't know. How do you? It's like how do you turn a girl on? Uh, uh well, I'll I'll try something. And you know, whereas if he's just being sexy for himself, yeah. or if he really was performing for Blaine, I don't think you'd have any issue with him being sexy. Mm-hmm. Now you can do it. Well, he might overdo it. I could see that happening. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> but speaking of being sexy, maybe this is a little too personal, but man, everyone in that song is sexy. Everyone in yeah, this way is. is hot, you know, it and is. I have my I have my more bisexual than usual moments. <laughs> this oh, song yeah. is definitely one of them and like Tina and Brittany and Quinn and uh, they're Hello. all Hello. Uh, yeah. Hello. Mercedes, yes, and yeah. uh, I'll rock your yeah. yeah, Santana. <laughs> Santana is sitting in the in the um in the back and even she with the levity yeah, with the levity. It's, it's the simplicity of those t shirts with yeah. the jeans and whatnot that they look all they all do really yeah. look so awesome. Yeah. And, yeah. and and I I think they all carry the Mexican Wait say lesbian? Yeah, isn't that what it says? I um I think you all see them with confidence too. I think that's what makes it is that yeah. they're all being, you know, they're all Confident with who them themselves, you know, with who they are and as themselves as their characters. Yep. So and you see that, and that comes through as uh, sexiness or confidence or, mm-hmm. or something. Well, and and you know, there are times when they put everybody in like the same outfit, and you're like, oh, okay, it works on person A, but person B is just stop. And and I'm glad that they were for this number. You know, these the yeah. simplicity of these t-shirts and jeans. It just works on everybody. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, they do and, better when they um, when they personalize. It. Like the competition outfits, they always wear exactly the same thing. But a lot of times when they do a group performance just for them, <laughs> they'll wear their own spin on it. Like you know, Don't Stop Believing was the first one. They each had their own type of red shirt. Right. And, yeah, and that kind of thing. They always look way better. Yeah, yeah. But this one isn't that. I mean, they all. The only difference is what's written on the shirt. And I guess the the girls' ones are more fitted. Maybe they're wearing different types of jeans. I don't know. Different yeah. types of pants. Not all these jeans. I think, in like, for instance, I think Brittany's wearing shorts. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, so. I think Brittany's wearing leggings or some very tight mm-hmm. kind of yoga pants. Do, you want, do we want to talk about the shirts for a second? I'm mad that the store never had a shirt that said likes both. Yeah, oh, uh, I never thought yeah. of that. They did it? Oh, I didn't know they sold one that said... I guess they did. They sold a Likes Girls shirt. They did one that said Likes Girls, and there was a huge freaking controversy over the Glee Tour because Diana wore the Likes Girls shirt at one of the performances, and everybody was like, Diana's coming out of the closet, or, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, Faberi is on, and she was just like, no, that's not what it means. It was, it was her attempt at being an ally, which, mm, I don't know. Those shirts cause so much controversy. When we're talking about fandom controversies, all the hey. girls wearing the likes boys shirts and yeah. Oh yeah. Hey. Okay, I'm looking at a close up picture. Yeah, they're all wearing black skinny jeans. Oh, even Lauren, Lauren, yeah, they're all wearing black skinny jeans. Even um, and oh, and they are all wearing black and white Converse. Oh, cool. Converse looks good on everybody. Mm-hmm. That's just my opinion. Well, they have their different jackets at the beginning, right? Yeah. Do all of them have some kind of jacket or just the three who come out first? Mm, no, be oh. Actually, I'm trying to remember. No. No, I think Lauren has a jacket. No, I think they all Emma, did. But yeah. Emma did. and Will had jackets. They all did. Yeah. And Emma did. Or Emma yeah. had a sweater on. So Yeah, I think Mike had a hoodie or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, because some of the, I think Mike and Brittany and a couple of others don't undo theirs a little bit into, until a little bit into the song. Yeah. So, um, do we ever see um, Kurt and Platt again? That <laughs> shirt makes more than one appearance. 
Yeah, uh, that one he's wearing yeah. it in two thousand nine. Uh, oh yeah, before. There's another one. He's he's actually worn it several times because for for some tag on Twitter, Tumblr, I gotta find it's like Kurtz's outfit repeater. Um, he, he they wore all it. I think he wore it. Um, I want to say he wore it when he and Blaine went to couples therapy with Emma. Hmm. I just did air quotes. Y'all can't see me doing that. Hmm. Maybe it wasn't. I know he wore it again. Yeah, I don't think it was there. He was wearing gray, I thought, in that scene, and Blaine was wearing red. Yeah, you may have a point. Oh, yeah, you're right. Okay, so this is going to sound really funny and kind of, well, kind of gross, but gross in a fun way. Um, I read a fic once where... um, this is obviously, but this was written in the summer or something before anybody really knew what was going on between Kurt and Blaine. But someone had written a fic where Blaine had just gotten ridiculously turned on by the Born This Way episode. Apparently he was sitting in the front row. We didn't notice. <laughs> he drags and he drags Kurt up to a, um, to the lighting room where they get it on and they use that plaid jacket to clean up. Oh. <laughs> and... Um, Maybe that's why we don't see the black jacket again. Oh. Mm. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we do somehow. I, I swear that we that No, I, I prefer that fan art that I've seen going around lately of um, Kurt and Blaine making out in the Born This Way outfit. Oh. Um, but it's meant to be before the uh, before the performance. It explains why because Kurt's hair is all messed up when he goes yeah. on. Oh, I love oh, that. Yeah. I have to go back and look for that artwork. Mm-hmm. That's kind of cool. Okay, well, um, that kind of brings us to the end of the episode. Um, anything that we wanted to just touch upon one more time, or anything you guys in your notes thought oh, yeah. we I do want to touch upon the conversation between Santana and Brittany at the locker. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a significant... Um, because we were talking about how Santana is trying to come to terms with her own mm-hmm. um, sexuality, and I think that conversation between her and Brittany was significant, I think. Yeah. Um, in terms of Brittany can always see right through, I think Brittany can always see right through her in her own way. That's why she had the shirt for her. And I don't think Santana was as ready to accept um, that side of her yet. So I think that's why. Uh, but, 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 uh, but what Brittany said clearly had some impact on her because she, you 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 see her sitting in the audience yeah. with her Lebanese shirt and not the uh, not her with her beard shirt. boyfriend. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Why is Krofsky there? That's what I want to know. But anyway. Well, it's also yeah. well. I mean, why is Karofsky there? Well, I think one reason is because Santana dragged them there. Because um, <laughs> you know, don't forget blackmail. Um, uh, no, I think it's very powerful that. to see I mean, them in the audience there, and yeah, oh, yeah, it is. I think so, yeah. it's particularly with her Lebanese shirt on, because yeah, because yeah. here, yeah, well, and at the same time, Karofsky's not being true to himself either. So exactly. yeah, because they're born this is the whole thing is we're born this way. And there are two people in the audience that are not ready to accept it. Exactly. Oh, which I was going to make a point. Um, I actually want to take a shout out and talk about Lauren's shirt because it doesn't say, like, fat on it. It just says bad attitude or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad neither Mercedes or, or um, uh, Lauren has overweight on their shirt. Right. And that makes me happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Because I remember, and I've seen um, Amber's posted about this on Instagram and has done interviews about this because she would see in, early on in the show there were scenes where her character would be complaining about her weight, and she said, I would not talk like this. Mercedes wouldn't talk like this. Mm-hmm. And and would just be like, that's not going to be part of my character. Yeah. Um, so well, and it, doesn't that, that doesn't that argue in favor of putting it on the shirt though that it's something that she accepts and loves about herself? Well, it depends on. But they, I mean, technically, nobody's born fat. I mean, no. I don't know if you you know. True. Though, like, Lauren Zizes does talk about having a thyroid problem. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she says the thyroid thyroid fat, but, but I mean, you know, having a genetic right. position. Artie doesn't put, like, his, you know, he's paralyzed or anything. He, he puts the, the, so I don't know. It. I think there's been some talk about what is the actual, what did Will really want for an assignment or whatever. Yeah. And then, uh, just and once Santana, again, Bill, Santana, like, does, oh. Santana does joke about Artie's legs at the beginning when the assignment is first. Um, yeah, she does. Yeah. First mm-hmm. announced. Yeah. But I mean, it's it's. I think part of it though is I mean, for all we know, there may have been other shirts that were made that the uh, rules and standards at Fox Broadcasting said no, we can't do that. Yeah. Well, they I don't know. They passed the I'm with stupid shirt with the arrow pointing down. Which is cut. That's a very creepy. No, I mean that's so freaking creepy. So yeah. Well, this is kind of sad. Also, I'm looking at a trivia on the Glee Wiki. Apparently, that was the, the Born This Way was actually the least watched episode of the season. Oh. What? Oh, that. what? Oh, yeah, why? And I, I mean, um, I was looking at the ratings, and I, I've always wondered this, and I'm, I should have brought it up in the, the other podcast, um, that if you look at the ratings, original song has this huge, you know, watching point, and then it just drops. I know there was a hiatus then, mm-hmm. but it drops like two million people, and like they never come back and never recovers. So I'm like, really? I mean, this can't be all like backlash because of you know Kurt and Blaine and the kiss or whatever. Or can it? I mean, like, I'm like, what happened? Is it? I don't know. I I've always want. I think the hiatus hurt it probably mm-hmm. a little bit because there were so many different hiatuses. I mean, I think I'm really immune to hiatus now that. We've gone through it with Glee, but... And here's the thing, though, and, I mean, I just gotta say this, I'm, like, I'm trying to think. I'm gonna be the oldest one here. Yeah. Oh, I think I'm 33, so I'm, I'm probably younger. 43. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, I'm two years younger, yeah. Okay, I'm 43, born and raised in the South, even though I went to a very progressive church, but, and this is 2011? Yeah. I absolutely believe they lost 2 million viewers because of the gay kiss. I'm That's sorry. what I thought. I've never. Yeah, I've I mean, always I really. Like, it's like it. It sucks. Yeah. But yeah, I can. I can see. I. I can see several. At the very least, I can see several saying, you know, saying "Well, we're not letting you watch that anymore." Yeah. Well, and I've had commentary with people in my community because I work retail, and we. we I don't know how we get on these top topics, but like somebody will. Um, I usually have um, either Chris Clover's book on my desk or something that is. Glee related usually, <clears throat> and I've had people say, you know, uh, oh, I stopped watching it because it became too gay. I, I've, uh, yeah, uh, I've heard that comment more than once in here. Yeah, yeah, that's sad. It's unfortunate. Yeah. I, I've always wondered if that was the thing that dropped them two million people. Well, the thing with Born This Way too. I mean, I think this was right after or a couple 
months after they they had the big um, their big awards ceremony at the um, they won big at the Golden Globes when Chris won his uh, Golden Globe and the show won the Golden yeah, Globe and they, they were talking about having Gaga on you know doing mm-hmm. Lady Gaga's song and specifically using this song for an episode. Yeah. So I remember there was a lot of hype, you know, on Chatter because Lady Gaga was the big artist then, mm-hmm. and there was a yep. big deal. But I don't know where the. But the song then actually, there, I think there was talk that Born This Way that it was supposed to be the debut of the song, but then the song came out like during the Grammys or something like that, and then everybody said it was a ripoff of "Express Yourself" by Benada. So. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I think also. I think the fact it was an extra long episode probably hurt it. I think it may have probably dropped some viewers off. Oh, yeah. Didn't it air? I wonder if, because you can look at the ratings of episodes as throughout the hour. Mm -hmm. And wasn't it an hour and a half? It was. Yeah, it was. 24 minutes long. So, and it's only 50 minutes. I mean, it isn't that much longer. So, the the amount of commercials, I can only imagine people just, you know, after the first two commercials, are probably like, okay, I'm done. It probably went to about an hour and a half total of airtime with commercials. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's about 30, 40 minutes of commercials. And there's a good, there's a good possibility that at the top of the hour, when they would normally go into another show, that they probably dropped off. Mm-hmm. Like there was probably people that flipped channels to like some another show that oh, you know CSI is on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I guess we can uh, wrap this one up and let's, again last call for any notes. Uh, let's see. We um did. One thing that I always found, um, something that I wanted to bring up with Rachel's nose job, and again, I can't speak of this because I'm not Jewish, but Puck, I remember Puck talking to Rachel about how, you know, you know, every, you know, year girls would, you know, leave for their 16th birthday and they'd come back and they'd look different. And Puck is very, you know, it's very, I can't think of the word for it. It's like very protective of his Jewish heritage and his faith and you know one of the very key things he tells Rachel is that you know you're basically take you're basically got to take the thing that makes you Jewish though I don't think it's the nose alone that can make you Jewish um mm-hmm. and changing it and you know I've also seen I okay I watched this uh there's this show on E called Botched God help me I watch it and there was <laughs> um there was a woman on there this past week who had a nose job and she said she had had a Middle Eastern nose and that she and you, and you start wondering about you know I can see wanting to do what Santana says if you say something you don't like about yourself you should change it but then you look at things that are either stereotypically or or ethnically you know very specific and just want to know if anyone had any thoughts on that in general I I don't know if I do um, it's an interesting thing to think about and and put out there and why are we doing the things that we are doing? Why are we changing what we are changing? Yeah. I think, um, Glee addresses it, um, with Rachel and also with Tina, um, yeah. with her, her eyes are mentioned a couple of times. Yes. Yeah. Slanted eyes and things. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Even Mike mumbles, you know, calls her a self hating Asian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's not, there's not that there's an, answer a profound thing to say but also but this is a thing we should be more aware or we should I don't know something to think about it is something mm-hmm. yeah so that's your homework guys not you know in the audience mm-hmm. think about you know 
who you are and, you know, what you were proud of, how you were proud to be mm-hmm. born you are. Yeah. Down with your freaky self. <laughs> <sighs> and there we go. There we go. will be suspicious look my brother will be there at the waves upon the tropical Disabilities, let you out past bullied or seized Rejoice and love yourself today Cause baby, you were born this no. way So raise your glass if you are wrong In all the right ways All your life You were only waiting for this moment to arrive